0: going to be in may and i am particularly excited about that because they've they've um, um thank you hi i'm going to um go over a presentation actually that i have to do in may at the National Museum of African American Culture and History. And then you all are the guinea pigs. And then <laughs> and then we can discuss it some. Um, I'm just gonna jump right into it. Um, during this presentation, you you'll have to forgive my Do, <laughs> I'm getting some glasses. <laughs> <laughs> You know, old people try um, what they've been doing all along when they discover it doesn't work. Um, Our panelists are supposed to focus on the presentation that um, tests the case for ongoing tensions between historical scholarship and public culture, reflecting the challenges of interpreting emancipation at house museums and the reactions of the public, including descendants of slave owners, as well as the enslaved. Okay, inspired by Alex Haley's roots in 1971, I began to I began a life journey to alter my and to identify my enslaved ancestors. I started by collecting lineage through oral testimony from the oldest generations and almost obsessively pursued federal, state, and regional archival repositories in hopes of going beyond memory. In 1983, I arrived at Somerset Place clutching an 1826 bill of sale transferring ownership of 25 of my Little John relatives to Josiah Collins III, a wealthy planter who reputedly owned one-third of the the third largest densely populated enslaved community in North Carolina. The former plantation had become a tax-supported, racially segregated recreation-themed state park in 1939 and a de facto segregated historic site in 1961, 1969. Only the circa 1830s 14-room planter's home was open to the visiting public. There, I was offered the standard industry ride all-encompassing and all-too-familiar elitist white he tour. He descended from British aristocracy. He cultivated the land, built a mansion house, and was imported every piece of furniture uh, included on in the furnishings component of the tour. He married a New Jersey aristocrat. He had six sons, was a staunch Episcopalian. He was devastated by the outcome of the Civil War, died broke, and brokenhearted. End of story. Remarkably, the teenage tour guide never uttered the word slave, or for that matter, broadly accepted euphorism servant. A small cot tucked in the corner of the butler's pantry was described as where the hired girl slept. Five extant domestic dependencies, which would have been the domain of enslaved domestic workers, were in varying stages of disrepair and the closed to the visiting public. Often a distant field but not acknowledged during the tour was an eight by 12 sign that said, site of slave quarters. Despite the den existing published biographies, including Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass, and the proliferation of of scholarship by historians documenting plantation life of enslaved families, including among many others, John Hope Franklin, Eugene Genovese, Herbert Gutman and Kenneth Stamp, there still existed an institutional unwillingness to recognize the importance of African-Americans to the history and culture of the United States. By the time I left that day, holding fast to the bill of sale, naming my ancestors, I had fully internalized the line from Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. When unfettered options exist in shaping representations of the nation's history of human chattel slavery, professional policymakers makers often, often choose for that or for that matter to manufacture a storyline that conforms to and illuminates their racial preferences or biases. At Somerset Place and similar plantation sites across the South, an industry-wide option had been exercised to render invisible slavery's ugly stain and slavery's victims to all generations. In 1986, I had documented the lineage of every slave family through first-generation born free and self-published um my findings in Somerset Slave Community and Antebellum Genealogical Study with proof of lineage the state of North Carolina gave permission um to have a family reunion on the grounds about 2500 descendants of people enslaved on the plantation and descendants of the former owners enthusiastically accepted um an invitation uh, for an unprecedented and remarkable and unmistakable acknowledgement of their ancestral history. Black descendants especially reveled in the celebratory dialogue about their <clears throat> families and they became ameliorated uh, about their families they had become, about the families they had become by ameliorating the synthetic and historic implications of slavery's horrific legacy. Um, The event called the homecoming garnered amongst others front page coverage of the New York, London, um, and Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, NBC, CBS, and ABC and CNN sent news and camera crews. That broad media coverage gave the previously ignored visibility to the enslaved men, women, and children who worked and died on, at Somerset Place. Though the proud and through the proud and engaging faces of their progeny, immediately after the event, Clarence W. Blount, a descendant and majority leader of the Maryland State Senate, wrote, "I've." always been proud of who I am but now I have found new appreciation from whence I come and a new vision of where I and where we as a people must go but now I know why we must go in order to garner maximum benefit from the positive publicity received and to attract African-American tourists in 1988 I accepted an offer of employment Somerset Place made by the North Carolina Department of Cultural Resources. Within two years, I'd become the historic site's manager. My specific and limited charge when hired was to continue forever organizing uh, homecoming events. Warm and fuzzy, highly entertaining, isn't it always that way? <laughs> highly entertaining, song and dance, one day festivals. The department's long range, um, long yeah, long range vision was to one day build a visitor center with an area exclusively dedicated to telling the black history story. (laughs) Um, That would cover any and all obligations the department felt to include African American history without even slightly changing the core institutional interpretation policies of the site, which in 1988 still focused on the elitist white male house tour. However, the lessons learned during the Civil Rights Movement should have conveyed to policymakers that the expected automatic deference, and remember this, expected automatic deference and acceptance of the status quo of African American cultural history like slavery itself Had passed irrevocably in history. As noted philosopher Will Durant put it, I am a devotee of perspective, an addict of integration. I want to see things whole. My obligation to the past and to future generations was to eliminate the option of ignoring the existence of 800 enslaved men, 800 enslaved men, women, and children who once lived on the plantation, 400 of whose bodies are interred on the ground, despite doggedly uncompromising administrative resistance to the very concept of mainstreaming and painting the history of slaves, holders and enslaved people on one canvas, with one, with the same brushstrokes, reconstructing permanently representative homes and other relative structures in the former slave community and scripting one factually inclusive guided tour was the only logical strategy to permanently eliminate the practice of symbolic annihilation or erasure Of people on the plantation. Thus began a 15-year journey guided by my personal affirmation. When your purpose is noble, when your goals benefit mankind, all that you need to achieve those goals will be available to you. Amongst the resources available to me were Senator Mark Bass Knight, and legislative black caucus um, who voted for funding at every step in the process. Also available to me was a stunning list of nationally known historians, Rex Ellis, Todd Savitt, Diane Swan Wright, Peter Wood, Dave Denard, and John Michael Blatch, along with archaeologists, builders and architectural historians. Today, after many seasons of funding, restoration, Somerset Place has historical legitimacy. Through one seamless guided tour, um, they have, through one seamless guided tour, uh, visitors see the humanity of, of a people what's known only as slaves. Inside the re- con- reconstructed home of Sookie Davis, they are introduced to a grandmother. Uh, they see images of her grandchildren and understand her humanity. They know how she balanced all of life's demands. At Judy and Lewis's home, they hear the story of a woman named Donko. She was brought to the plantation along with 79 other of her countrymen directly from the coast of Africa in 1880. 18- in 1786. By 1863, all of her descendants uh, were taken to Alabama. Hers is truly the story of loss in the plantation hospital used dominantly um, to uh, people with communicable diseases. They learn about as many as 30 babies dying from a measles outbreak. They see the archaeological remains of the chapel where children went every day when they be, uh, to learn that um, they um, they were taught to obey their earthly master. Adding to the realistic portrait of Somerset Place of Stocks and the archaeological remains of the Job, they tour the kitchen, the dairy the closed domestic buildings. Finally, at the planter's home, they don't hear the elitist white male male tour. Instead, just as they did in Sookie Davis's home, the Collins home, now they learn about how the Collins has balanced um, life's demands. Visitors now see history whole and find the integrity of the representations praiseworthy. According to Peter Wood, Somerset has effectively changed the interpretive paradigm, paradigm, and um, as one of the largest asphalt plantations in North Carolina. The site is used to educate uh, citizens about the social history of African-Americans and whites in North Carolina, a historic paradigm shift that um, from exclusivity to equity, from invisibility to visibility, from the he to the we tour. I have to apologize to you all. That's the first time I read it out loud. <laughs> And I've got I've got until uh, I made a tweak in a little bit. God. But there are two points that I really want to convey here. It's important to recognize what your goal in life is, what your sometimes it's a predetermined goal in life is. Mine was to... Eliminate an option if there are no buildings there. If you don't reconstruct something permanent, there is always the option of ignoring the slave community. That was what I ran into at Somerset Place. We can ignore the slave community. We are gonna build a brand new visitor center and put, put a little museum quality Um, exhibits in there. You want to, in life, make a permanent change, to permanently change some inequity. It may be a small inequity, but you want to do it permanently. That was my agenda. at Somerset Place, to permanently eliminate the option by reconstructing buildings. Um, And the other is, whenever you're doing something with a noble purpose, I know it sounds Twilight Zone-ish, but the resources you need are always going to be available to you. You have to open them. You don't have to assume you know everything, which is what we typically do. If we come up with an idea, we assume that we know everything that's needed to, and you don't. You can call upon the best minds in the country to help you. All of the historians who worked with me at Somerset Place worked for nothing. It was just a matter of calling them and saying, can you help me? Never be afraid to, what harm does it do to help you? These are nationally recognized historians. Um, You wanna have a, a meeting at the site with By the way, the state really did resist my efforts, in part because I chose not to use state-employed, working for the Department of Cultural Resources. I did choose to use state-employed at universities, uh, but not outside of the university setting. Um, But it was simply a matter of picking up the phone (coughs) Telling them what you want to do. And they were were available to me. So the other thing is, don't ever be afraid to ask. Don't ever be afraid to ask. Ask the top minds. You don't have to know anything. You just have to know where the experts are. And you make yourself look so smart that way. Yeah. Um, okay, other questions. For me. Simple. Um, after I had done the complete genealogy and knew that these knew who the descendants of People from Seven Somerset was. It was important that those people um, also know. If if you've got information and you're just gonna keep it amongst yourself to yourself, then what good is it? Um, I worked with the local community um, and said, um, you know, we're gonna have this. I secured a date, and from there it was essentially word of mouth. Um, Word of mouth to the extent that the news media caught wind of it. Alex Haley caught wind of it. Um, So the the advertisement for the event took on a life of its own. But the the idea that I knew there was no great magical plan, there really wasn't. Um, The fact that I knew who my ancestors were and now I knew who everybody else's ancestors were, I needed to share that. So it was just the idea of sharing it that it, it grew, it was really a novel idea. It didn't even occur to me that it was a novel idea. But like I said, when your purpose is noble, whatever you need to bring it to fruition will, will be available to you.
1: What would that be
0: like? Um, overwhelming. It was full of unexpected things. Um, I remember one man, I remember one man looking in the the published genealogy, and he was an elderly man, and he looked down and he said, Yeah, yeah, that's him, that's him, that's my ancestor. and you knew the importance of documenting. Um, There was another man who took, another elderly man, who took a tour of the Collins family home because that's all that was open to the public, the only thing you could go in. And he walked in, he walked all over that house and he looked up and he looked down. And, you know, prior to the homecoming, Only the colleges were associated with building the house. But he looked up and he down and he said, we did right good work, didn't we? And when he said we did right good work, I knew that he was accepting the fact that we built this. You know, it's standing because we built it. Um, and did a very good job. The rest of it was celebrity, kind of, (laughs) Um, but those two things uh, still stand out with me today and resonate as important. Um, The fact that there was these two elderly men who acknowledged, yeah, this this is mine. Um, they took ownership. Doc, can you talk a bit about how you got into the Native American story when you were doing your research? Um, maybe talk a bit more about the Native American research. Um, now, uh, first of all, um. We always had a tradition, uh, African-Americans always have a tradition of claiming Native American ancestry. It's just what we do. Um, We claim it uh, to explain light skin because African-Americans don't particularly care for light skin. Um, They care for dark, dark skin. that's, that's always interesting to me. I discussed with the descendant of uh, one of the planters, and he said, well, you know, um, she had had a conversation with the woman working for her who said, I, um, I, I don't, you know, I'm so glad I have darker skin. She didn't want light skin. And Frances Inglis looked at me, she said, I was so surprised to hear that. I always thought you all wanted to look like us, which was not true. Um, So we always just conjured up, we all related to to Indians and and that's how we explained it. Well, since that time, I'm working now on the education of African-Americans in Carroll County and found that there was a group of people who were um, listed as free people of color. They were either mulattoes or black, Negro. And anyway, with those free people of color, when I tried to trace their ancestry back, I found that unless you're on a reservation, nobody identifies you as an an Indian. So that unless you're working from, oral testimony, nobody is going to identify you as an Indian because Europeans very arrogantly uh, got rid of all black names, all names from Africa, disappeared. They only recorded Indian names. And as late as early as 1715, 1716, the chief of the Madame Mesquite, there were Madame Mesquite and Arrow Mesquite um, Indians had their names recorded on land deeds as Chief Tom Blunt. All hints of a linguistic group were gone from that early days also the king of um, the Arrow Mesquite Indians was recorded with um, a European name uh, on landings and on official court records. Europeans refused to to use their their Indian names, so that unless you came off of a reservation or you remained um, an intact family, oral tradition is the only source that we have for establishing that you were Indian. Um, It was a bit sad to find out because there were all all of these historically free people of color in Terrell County who say they're Indian um, and we accept their word for it. Some of them were uh, people born of (laughs) <laughs> white mothers and um Indian fathers, but there's no way to really establish that they were Indians unless they were on plant on uh reservations. That the whole it's like with Africans, the the whole linguistic the language group is gone uh, because they're recorded. There was there's some people in here who were Indian?
1: No? Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Huh? Were you? Well,
1: I'm I'm <laughs> a little Mexican. I'm, a, I'm not even from North Carolina.
0: Okay. okay. Anybody yeah, Huh? Two
2: people.
0: All right. Were you or was your family on a reservation? Yeah, I'm from here. Okay. Yeah okay so you're on a reservation and that's different you can trace that lineage it's pretty clear the other person
1: i am. i'm not on a reservation so ours goes back to it goes from um free person of color to a lot of to some other category to indian and then it goes back it changes
0: yeah I found it almost impossible to trace um, the lineage of the group who said that they were, who were free people of color, who kept telling me, oh no, my ancestors were Indians um, because the, the linguistic group is gone. Um, who would have And was yours, did you have a clear linguistic group? Yes,
1: we still have a, our language is still preserved since we had a written form.
0: Yeah, you are fortunate. Yeah, you, yeah. Um, That's not something that's easy, particularly if you're mixed Indian, um, mixed Indian heritage. Yeah.
1: But the lake, they, felt they made some discoveries, archeological discoveries there, is
0: that right? The canoes or... Are... Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm, I just want
1: mm-hmm. these guys to know what they're gonna see when they see the lake. You
0: know, oh, okay. Um, I think they still have a, a canoe on, they were, they um, were, Dugout canoes, but there's candidly there's some controversy there because there were also dug dugout canoes used at Somerset. We have a letter describing the canoes that went out, but the dugout canoes were um, used in that area um, by Indians. We assume. By the time White settled there, the Indians, though, had left. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's possible, how the are, that when, that part of the is like, that the other
0: one is? you don't have to you can change the narrative was that not clear you do one tour that changes the narrative for the setting for the plantation so no longer in the planter's house do you hear the elusive white he tour that was changed now i've been gone eight years so uh, i'm not sure where it is now uh but no you all of it should be changed. When you arrive today, you'll see um, a visitor center that we, we do an orientation. You will see all of the buildings are now open. And try to imagine a site with one building open. Um, and people didn't even go into the visitor center. They were greeted on the door, at the door, and then taken on tour the entire interpretation of the site has changed. Um, in fact, Somerset is one of the few that does what we call a scripted tour. The other at other historic sites, you're allowed to, uh, you have to hit a couple of points, but then you're allowed completely to say whatever you want to say. So you winds up with whatever you're interested in turns out to be what you say on tour. You don't have to. Uh, at Somerset, they they were at least on a scripted tour. No, it, it would have been impossible, you're right, to maintain that he, the house tour, the planter's house. What you do, what I did was to balance them. You put up the slave community and you can, do a similar interpretation to both of them. You can, um, that both, in, in both settings, you can talk about life's complexities, life's, life's joys, life's visitors. You can, you can do them both. You can do both um, at each house.
1: Work, the noble work it's, it's a great accomplishment. What you've done, and I'm just wondering, are you done, or is
0: there still more noble work yet to do for you? I am done with Somerset. Um, it's important to know when you've, when you have finished. Um, so I am done with that. I am now working on um, the education of blacks in Terrell County, um, which is really complicated. Um, it began with uh, finding out that there were school committees in the 1880s, and who were they, and you know, who were the laws that were governing uh, school committees. So I. I think that's important. Terrell County is right next to where I live. Plus, if you all are going to, are you going to Edenton? We're not going to Edenton. Oh, okay. I did this. Really, it was supposed to be um, a booklet to a a company. a lecture I was doing, a PowerPoint that I was doing. So I'm trying to do now booklets that go along with the PowerPoints. If you ever do go to Edenton, you'll see this building. It's, um, have you seen it? Did you know a black woman built it? A black mm-hmm. woman built it. A black woman born into slavery built it and did the detail. There was a handwritten um, instruction about the painting of the building. She owned eight pieces of property in Edenton. Um, So it's that kind of, I'm trying to get those stories that um, you come across out in the public Um, At a certain point, you will find, or at least I have found, as I age, you really, if you're an older person, you have to turn it over to the next generation and watch it, It'll, it'll rise to the top, it might sink to the bottom, but that generation, your generation, um, will have to um, take over. And that you have to leave it alone. Um, and that's what I've done with Somerset. You know, I'm not gonna, No, nobody is going to live forever. Um, so at some point you turn it over while you're living um, and see what they're going to do with it. Um, and it's interesting to see what does become of what has been for you, anyway, a life work. They they recently added a handicap ramp to the Planters' home at Somerset, uh, which is really nice. Except there is no antebellum planter who had a house equipped with it. <laughs> With a handicap gram, but that's a minor thing, you know. In ten years, it may come off. Um, so you do have to. That's about the biggest change that they've done. Uh, but you really have to let things go.
1: No, I don't.
0: You have to. It's to the next generation. I mean, you certainly... Huh? Um, Yeah. You know, I wouldn't try to tell my daughter what to do. No. matter how wise I think I am. Uh, So it is what it is. When, uh,
2: When I read your book, one of the things that really struck me Living in, I live in Raleigh, and all the names that you listed in terms of the genealogy of families that reach all the way into Raleigh. And it's the country. Um, so in some ways, it seems like your work has really helped to bring um, a sense of belonging to a lot of people. So what are some of those stories that you have heard over the years? You described two of them. Are there others, in particular, when people read the work that you've done, maybe able to see their family, family's names for the first time in terms of the context of history and, and slavery?
0: Um, yeah, and, and at some point, I think I'm going to try to do the book, and this is what happened after the homecoming, because that really does stop there. Um, we've had family reunions at Somerset that include families from as far away as Raleigh, from as far away as Alabama, from as far away as, uh, but families who have actually started having family reunions at Somerset Place based on their connection to the site. So it has done that. And their family reunions grow a bit every year.
2: Could you say a little bit about the, the hospital? I was it really struck by how fact, guess, you know, he, the fact that it's the only recreational hospital, so how do you view what that looked like? What, what,
0: what, what the, the building was, was. When you go into Sookie Davis' home, you'll see an exhibit of her and her descendants. But a part of that exhibit includes the buildings were standing in the 1920s. It includes the building that was standing in the 1920s. Um, We knew it was a hospital because of the documents and all of the documents which gave medical treatment, how the doctors were paid, what they were paid, um, who they treated. So we knew it based on a historical record, based on archaeology. We were able to determine exactly what the footprints were uh, and photographic. Yeah. So we, we looked up. Um, all of the buildings, really, the ones that are reconstructed are based on, and as I said, you'll see some of that the exhibits when you go in um, are based on um, on the records, on the archaeology and on photographs, yeah. It really is the affirmation. Um, We all have belief systems. Um, And for me, it was, it was the absolute belief that this was the thing to do. And then, you know, when you look, all of your life circumstances seem to conspire to put you at a a certain place, at a certain time, um, and then resources are just available to you. Um, That more than anything else, it's almost a a, a belief that you you can't describe. That lets you know you're on the path you need to be on. you're just on the path you need to be on. Yeah. Um, huh? Um, the full affirmation is still yourself, hear that inner voice, and vigorously pursue its dictates. When your purpose is noble, when your goals benefit mankind, Whatever you need to achieve them will be available to you. And I also also say um, I do mean available to you. They're not going to drop in your lap. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when Doubleday did a copy of the book, it's in the front of the Doubleday edition, Um, the UNC Press Uh, edition does not have that in it.
1: Are there other places that you know in the country, former plantations,
0: that are telling the half that has never been told? Um, You know what, it's it's really, really funny. Everything that I mentioned, it seems that other plantation sites Monticello, for example, decided to um, go the other way. They decided they were going to build um, a state-of-the-art visitor' center and, uh, you know, open, open that. they are now opening uh, buildings on, on the street that was the slave street. At Mount Vernon, they decided to uh, build what? A state-of-the-art visitor center. <laughs> it is the funniest thing. Um, at Drayton Hall, it's, it's, there is no plantation site that has decided that we'll just interpret slavery um, by reconstructing buildings in the slave community Um, at the plantation in Jacksonville, Florida, yeah. They have decided they would interpret slave communities, which are tabby. They're really big. Um, But the house that would have been the planter's home is no longer interpreted as that it's just it's curious to me it's curious what's curious is that people assumed that whites in particular wouldn't want to hear about slavery they just wanted to know about the big house and the rent and 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 people who lived in there and there could be nothing less true Everybody appreciates the truth of the story that you're telling. That's, um, yeah, administrators just assume that white people must be dumb. They just want to know, you know, the pretty side. Um, you know, there are people who are compulsive researchers, uh, who've always been compulsive researchers, who just. Uh, I, I don't want to sound like a nerd or anything, but. Huh? It's okay. Oh, oh good. Okay. Well, you know how it is when. You- <laughs> When you, uh, when you are a compulsive researcher, when one bit of information will lead you to another, I am a an absolute nerd, uh, and, and and you know how they are.
1: <laughs> it's a heavy burden. It, 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 just,
0: it just is. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm a compulsive researcher. Um, a compulsive nerd. Uh, what I what I do find absolutely is amazing is the amount of help that people will give you or the the directions that you can be pointed in. Um, simply by asking. (laughs) I think somehow, if you are a trained historian, um, you don't tend to ask. There's a certain amount of pride. Um, But I think if you're not, than you do you just ask and you can ask the most ridiculous things and people will just respond to you um you know which sends you off on another um journey somewhere it's okay
1: Yeah. But
0: just say you're supposed to already have it you're together. You're supposed to already have it together. no. Um, I don't have it together. no. And if, when you don't, when you are when you are that vulnerable, people throw their arms around you and 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 walk with you um to, and that's an important thing. I think it's easier for an easier lesson for women to learn than for men. Um, is that there's always someone to help you.
2: What is your legacy? Like, what do
0: you what would you like for your legacy With
2: Somerset?
0: Just in general. Um With Somerset, I would like my legacy to (coughs) be as one who eliminated the option of ignoring. I think that is the most important thing um, that I have done. I've eliminated the option of ignoring a whole community of people in the story that's told.
2: Your laser-like focus is amazing. Um, your ability to articulate things in such a clearly stated manner is just amazing. I think to all of us as, as a leader, um, it's, it's so clear. It's simple. So, so
0: powerful. Thank you.
1: Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> Um,
0: it's like, I guess who I am, I mean, you know, and, and I don't know why you, we don't always know why, um, we come across in a certain way. Um, you find that it's important to cut through the crap with everything that you're doing, um, it it's just to cut through the crap, and be laser sharp. Yeah. And you know, people can tell when you when you when there's a whole bunch of palava about something that there is no need to be. The minute you open your your mouths, people can tell it, and nobody really wants to hear that. You know. They
2: don't. Can you talk about the, um, the records of the people
1: who came over to the, rest of the past? how do you feel were a location like, came
0: from I'm sorry, I thought I heard. Um,
2: it was like a sale, did you heard.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, Um, I just finished working with the Underwater Archaeology Department uh, at East Carolina University about a year ago. We finally found the newspapers that showed where the Camden had the boat, the boat itself had been, had gone, um, where it possibly landed in Africa. Um, We really don't know, but the records are a little bit amazing. It turns out there are uh, some sites that are accessed by universities that you can't access outside of the university, so you have to go through the university to access them and through their access they were able to come up with um not not so much the information once the ship reached edenton but the information prior to so i think we have gone as far as we can with that um we can't trace the information back to Africa. Um, we can't trace the information from the interior to the coast from, our, that part of our lineage really is gone. Yeah, unless the DNA really does work and I happen, to I haven't tried that yet. Um, But it's sad because we really can't trace. That's the real sadness of slavery and the language is gone, which means the linguistic group is lost and we can't go back that way. It's lost. Yeah. Um, And you'd like to be able to um, at least identify a place. Um, but I doubt that you're going to be able to.
1: Some people here have done their DNA. <laughs>
0: Who's done their DNA? Okay.
1: <laughs> and Rebecca uh, <laughs>
0: you did your DNA? I didn't I, we just talked about how they do it and you
2: know our our lineage is passed down there's DNA, so the specific type of DNA in the cells and there's markers in everybody's DNA according to the regions,
1: like different clusters of uh, characteristics that are inherent in certain regions. So they look at that mitochondrial DNA and they determine um, it's not really specific either, it's regional too. As a mm-hmm. they're narrowing it down. <laughs> um, certain groups have certain characteristics in their DNA, so we know that they're um, from this region or from this region. And that's, that's the I haven't done it, before, so. I'm it. You what? <laughs> Uh, uh, repeat, uh, what's the DNA? No, she, she said she's
2: said she scared of Big Brother. She's watching uh, her DNA, so
0: that's
1: what she's doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just nervous about what's going to be dealt with later on.
0: Um, and we may need to worry about that, quite <laughs> frankly, okay. um, since we don't know. Um, I'm not really interested in, in doing mine. Um, I think there is a, a mixture. I came from a line of mixed people and I just assumed, I don't know what that knowledge would change, what that knowledge would mean um, so I'm not sure that I'd want to. So
1: can you um, talk to us a little bit about the moral imperative of our our moral across North Carolina to eliminate that option?
0: <sighs> to eliminate the option of.
1: To your to your noble goal, I think that we have. Would you say that we do have the, we have the moral obligation to eliminate the option of not seeing, wherever we are? The obligation of? Not seeing. eliminate the option of not seeing. Making people invisible or making people visible.
0: Of course you do. Of course you do. Of course everybody does have the option of, be it a small matter, all kinds of matters be it a one-to-one relationship be it one issue everybody has the option of making it possible to see making another person visible yeah why would you not Can you think of an instance, instance that anybody is working with? I can
2: think of times where I was scared to name that people in the room with power were not paying attention to something, something else, somebody else, some other community. Thing. But then there's always the risk that you'll be identified. I'll a lot I'll be identified as a crazy, scary black girl who always is not or not. So I mean, when you say, can you think about a reason why? The only answer I have is, is fear. That's not good. It's not good enough to answer, but it's a true answer. So well, I just take a big, you know, like you're inspiring me now when I go home. And more forthright.
0: Yes. More forthright. I'll give you a secret. A real secret? You can cuss somebody out if you whisper. (laughs)
1: Really?
0: You can just whisper. I think you've just
1: uh, inherited an entire new family of children that want to speak. Yeah. Okay, I want you to be
0: their mom. So. Just just whisper. And do you, you know what the other secret is? Put your arm on somebody when you're telling them, when you're cussing them out. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> huh I'm not sure using that one. yeah when you cut them
0: out, just put your arm on them, or when you're telling them they're wrong, just put your arm on them and whisper it even if even if you're in an open room um, and everybody in the room is going to hear it, mm-hmm. modulate that voice so that you're whispering it. It does work.
1: Can you tell us the time? I mean, I'm curious. Can you tell us the time when, when you've done that and when it's worked for you?
0: It worked for me the whole time I was fighting the state of North Carolina to put those buildings up. They honestly resisted putting up the buildings. They wanted me to get money to put up a visitor's center. And he's saying things like, well, but you know, I don't know anybody who gets up in the morning and travels across state lines to see a new visitor's center. But they... (laughs) In other words, stupid. (laughs) Um, But I didn't say
1: that.
0: I didn't say that. I said, you know, and that was, that was my argument. They, they don't get up in the morning and, and come to see, but they would, slave housing. Yeah, so that it, the, whole, the whole process was fighting. It's incredible to me right now when I think about it, but it was fighting the whole way. Um, and it always works, those strategies always work, always whisper, always, you never can come out angry or forceful. It just doesn't work. Yeah.
1: Do you have any regrets along
0: I wish I knew that the process was going to be that long. Um, There was enough time to have put up all of the buildings. I got three of them up only because the time period was so very long. Um, And convincing people was so very hard. Um, I wish I had known that ahead of time. and I might have started um, earlier, um, but wouldn't you know it, I mean, before the state would even discuss money, before they would even allow someone to go after money to, re- to rebuild new buildings, I had to uh, fix all the buildings that were already there. That... <laughs> Don't you know it that all we got to do new roof on the planters home and we got to do, yeah, we got to do everything that's already there before we can go after money uh, to do the reconstructions. So um, I just wish I'd known. Um, I think had I been another kind of person um, it would not have gone as well. I'm thankful for the personality that I have. Um, yeah. That just allowed that.
2: Okay, that lecture, for your wisdom and your will and your grace and your grit, thank you uh, for your work. Uh, let's show her how much we appreciate <laughs>